Welcome and happy Friday. It's January 13th, 2017. Happy January. It's still, we're still in the new year mode. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. And I'm here in the Condé Nast podcast studios with Mara Balaktas and Lalia Arikoglu from our editorial style team. And Lilith Marcus, who's a digital editor for us and uh, does a lot of writing for us as well. And the theme of the week is going to be souvenirs, something that everybody who travels at least thinks about when they're in another place, something you want to bring back to remember the trip by or just something that you found that was super cool that you can't get anywhere else. And I think we're going to start this one off. Lily, you talked to someone from Grabber. Can you tell us a little bit about what Grabber is? Yeah. So Grabber is an app. Think of it as like Airbnb, but with souvenirs. So it was co-founded by a woman named Daria Rebinok, who's who I spoke to, who's the CEO. And the idea is she's Russian and she lives in the U.S. So whenever she had a family member or a friend coming to visit her from Russia, she always ended up sending them this list of stuff that she wanted from back home that she couldn't get in the States and vice versa. When she went to visit her family, they always sent her a list of things. And she started thinking, oh, well, what if you were going somewhere and you may not have a personal or a friend connection there, but maybe there's something from where you live that they want and you guys can agree to exchange that. And so whoever brings the item with them to the other country gets a percentage, but a lot of people also turn it into a way to make friends and they'll say, okay, well, in exchange for this, I'll also give you a tour of the neighborhood or I'll take you out for breakfast. So it's sort of becoming part of the sharing economy. Hmm, interesting. And so you talked to Daria herself? Yes. Okay. Why don't we run that interview now so we can hear what she had to say? Hi, I am on the phone with Daria from Grabber. Daria, can you introduce yourself and say a little bit about Grabber? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Daria, and I am the founder of Grabber, which is a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, shopping and delivery network. Essentially, what we do, we connect shoppers all around the world who are willing to get items that they cannot get online or they cannot find in their local cities or countries with travelers who are going their way and can bring those items to them. And this way, they can make some extra cash to subsidize their travel. And I think the idea was somewhat personal in terms of how you came up with the app. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Together with my husband, we came up with this app. It's worth mentioning that we're both travelers, big travelers. We've lived in different countries and cities all around the world. And every time we were traveling somewhere, we had a suitcase full of things and gifts and souvenirs for our friends and family. And one time we were in San Francisco working in our first startup, and we were really craving for some wine and some gazpacho and some cheese from Spain that we couldn't find here. And we came up with an idea of, okay, it would be great to build a platform where we can find some travelers who are traveling here from Madrid or from Barcelona and can bring those items uh, for us because we are willing to pay for that. And what kind of products do you find that people are curious about? Are there certain items on Grabber that people really gravitate to? Oh, there are a lot of items that people, you know, really want. You know, people want uh, some uh, unique green tea Kit Kats from Tokyo or some banana cake from Tokyo. And uh, we really see huge demand for certain baby products. Huge requests actually from coming from South America and Russia for baby formula and some baby powder, which is something that they cannot get in those countries, so they are extremely expensive or sometimes the quality is not there. So it's really, really interesting to see how, you know, Grabber helps people to get things not that they just want, but things that they need and cannot live without them. 
So as a peer-to-peer -peer site, you know, when I think of peer-to-peer, -peer, I think of, say, Airbnb, where you might be renting a room in someone's apartment, and that's the bare minimum, but so often people throw in these extras, like they leave you a basket of sweets, or they make you dinner one night, or they show you around the neighborhood. Do you guys find that those kinds of experiences happen from Grabber? Definitely, definitely. And I think mostly we connect travelers or frequent travelers. Uh, like I personally traveled and I had a person who gave me a free tour around the city in Hong Kong. It was amazing. And my husband, when he went to Vietnam, he also delivered several grabs and uh, he met with a person who had actually his tourist agency. So he gave him a guide for a couple of days and he also brought him to some local noodles place. Oh, that's so cool. It's, it's, it's incredible, you know, how people are really, really happy to receive those items because they wouldn't get them otherwise, and they're really, really interested to meet those travelers. Sometimes they're foreigners, right, uh, to get to know them, make friends, and we have a lot of cases where people actually still stay in touch, and they keep on messaging through our platform to each other, like, oh, when is your next trip? Will you be able to bring me those things, which is amazing. So one natural thing that I think comes up is how can you be sure that all of this is legal? I know that some countries, especially Australia, have really strict rules about what kinds of products you can bring into the country. How do you make sure that if somebody requests a grab or is looking for something to take with them on their trip, that they're going to be okay if someone opens their bag at the airport? Definitely. So there are several ways how we approach it. First of all, uh, we provide our users with information about what items are not allowed to be brought into countries where they're traveling. So this is one way. Another way, we have semi-automated system where we have certain keywords, you know, that we're tracking. So taking off items that are not allowed for any type of transportation, uh, I mean, for air transportation, right? And from the manual perspective, we have amazing customer service on our team who, you know, goes through all the orders and just delivers those orders so that people don't get confused why those items are being ordered. And we just notify traveler and the shopper that this item is not allowed through our platform. This item is not even allowed to be brought in the suitcase and so please take it off. And in terms of vetting your users, how do you make sure that that's a safe interaction? Definitely. Uh, so there is a new feature that we're releasing. It's definitely verified profile, verified travelers. So all our travelers go through verification to make sure that they are diligent people and that, you know, they have to update their profile. They have to tell a bit about themselves so that, you know, shopper clearly knows that he can trust this person bringing this item and actually meeting with this person. We have several brand ambassadors who we actually personally vet ourselves. We conduct a lot of interviews with them and we educate them. The same way we also educate our travelers on what's the best way to behave and uh, that this is about community. Of course, rating system plays a lot. And of course, we recommend everyone to be meeting in public places so that it's not, you know, hey, can you come over to my house and bring this item, right? So people don't feel comfortable. And we built an internal messenger where travel and shopper can, you know, have a conversation. They can ask each other questions and kind of feel comfortable having this person bringing the item that you requested from abroad. So I have to ask, what are the things from Russia that you always want? And what are the things from America that your family in Russia wants? There's also like supplements, food supplements that are from Siberia and they're not sold online. They're not, cannot be delivered any other way uh, to, to San Francisco. So I'm always requesting this one. This is what I'm really craving for. And there are certain like goods like that we have 
this thing called sushki, which is like small dried bagels. So this is like really a Russian thing. I cannot find it here, or if I can, it's not that quality that I like to buy in Moscow. So this is something that I'm requesting all the time. What my relatives and friends usually request from the U.S., they all request Oreos. They request Oreo ice cream. <laughs> I mean, no one has, has really brought it, but it's really funny how people request. Actually, those who have been to New York, they request New York bagels all the time. Because That's there's good no to hear. in Moscow. Yeah, New York bagels with like New York cream cheese and luck. It's really funny. This is what people are really, really <laughs> craving for. And some like sweet, I mean, besides all the electronics and all the American fashion brands, I would say it's like food items for food. It's like Twizzlers. It's actually really funny. A lot of people request Twizzlers for like American chewing gum or even toothpaste, like Crest toothpaste, because it's really, really good compared to the ones produced or sold in Russia. Well, this is so great, Daria. I really appreciate you talking with me. And I had an experience using the app that was really positive. So I appreciate it. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank I'm you. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. So that's a, a really interesting sort of white space in the market that she's filled there. And it seems like it has multiple uses, even just in her conversation. So there's the idea of mementos or things that represent places that mean something to people in a kind of imaginative or emotional way. But then there's also a very utilitarian quality to that. Have you guys ever been asked or asked somebody to bring back something that you like just needed, just kind of needed, like I can't get that thing here and I haven't been able to make the same kind of meal or wash my hair in the same way since? Have you ever done that? All the time. All the time? Yeah. Like, give me an example. So uh, I have a cousin who lives in London, and so depending which one of us is visiting the other, there's always a list. It may be a short list, but when I lived out there, there were certain candies that I always wanted that I can find in the States, but they're usually really expensive. So I always ask her to bring some of those. And then she asks me to bring, like, a bunch of over-the-counter medicines, which I think is interesting because I feel like their healthcare system is better than ours. But in some ways, American brands will sell stronger stuff over the counter so that you don't have to go to a doctor and deal with making an appointment in your insurance. So I once went over there with like four things of NyQuil. Whoa. That's And I if anyone asked, I was like they're for personal use. <laughs> How they long was you for NyQuil? <laughs> like a that week. <laughs> <laughs> but I said that I have trouble sleeping on flights and I needed it and everyone just kind of nodded like that was a reasonable thing to say. So one of the things that it also made me think of is reselling. Like, have you guys ever gone and brought something back thinking I can put this on eBay or I know somebody I can sell this to? Well, when I was in high school, fruit roll-ups were a social currency. <laughs> to the point at which they were banned. Really? Wow. They were banned? They were banned. Why? Because That's people so would, mean. Because people would use them to bribe other students to vote for them to make them prefects. That seems perfectly reasonable to I me. I think so, too. I think they were enterprising. <laughs> You're going to give them a reward. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm from North Carolina, and I'm allergic to cigarette smoke, which was a fun way to grow up. But... Uh, there were definitely times, especially if we were driving down from New York, that people would ask me to bring like a carton of cigarettes back for them because they're so cheap there compared to what they are in New York City. So I definitely started thinking like, all right, if I really wanted to buy cigarettes, maybe I would just sell them to people. And what would be the cutoff for them being less expensive than New York? Yeah, that well, and it's sort of that's kind of the idea of duty free a little bit, too. Like you're always doing that math of should I buy this before I come back? Like what's the net price? But I'm wondering if you guys have... Is there something, Mara, that when you go, you always look for to bring back? Is there a particular category of thing that you try to collect? Well, typically when I go to Europe, it's always beauty products. 
Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of things, especially like in Paris when I go, that I kind of explore all the pharmacies and pick out things that I want to try. And then I come back to the States and try everything. And then I'm trying to hunt my friends down in Paris to send me more of the stuff because... It's stuff you can't get here. It's stuff you can't get here. They There's just a lot of different options for skincare there, which is really nice. And you're always kind of stumbling upon something new in the pharmacies in Paris. Yeah. And I think the laws were also different for a long time. This has changed in the U.S. But when I was in high school and college going to Europe, I could always get really, really strong sunscreens there. Um, like it was normal to find an SPF 100 just in a drugstore. Whereas in the States at the time, that was really mm -hmm. difficult to find anything over a 30. And that has changed since then. But at the time, it was like, oh, man, I got to stock up while I'm here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lale, is there anything that you look for every time you go to a place? I like to find jewelry um, when I go to a place. So I have a ring that I wear almost every day that I found in Mexico. And these bracelets that I got in Tel Aviv that I love from some tiny jewelry store in Jaffa that I could probably never find again. And my dad is from Turkey, so every time I would go to Istanbul, the bazaars there are great for finding gold jewelry. So that's something I always look for. And they also do some pretty good imitation designer bags. So my mom will always put in a request for that. She asked you to pick up a design, a fake designer bag. <laughs> my, no, my poor dad. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Does she know about Canal Street? Um, yeah. Not as good. But I told her not to go there. <laughs> yeah, not as good. Um, well, it sounds like that's a little bit kind of on this matrix of utilitarian. Like, Mara, you're pretty far on the utilitarian. Like, I can't get this stuff and it's really great. Lala, you're kind of more looking at the place itself and what they do well. Are you guys emotional souvenir grabbers? Do you grab things just like some random thing that you know you're not going to really need or use, but it just represents something about the trip? Is that something that you've ever done? Yeah, I think that's what I look for. There are certain things, especially now living in the States when I go back to the UK that I'll stock up on. But in general, when I'm traveling, I want something that will take me back to the place when I look at it that won't run out after a couple of months. Or it could be, you know, a food or an alcohol that's very specific to that place. So again, when I was in Mexico, I got, I bought back a bottle of mezcal and it was coffee infused that I tried in this restaurant and it was amazing. So I bought a couple of bottles back and, you know, every time I'd have it in my apartment in the middle of winter, I would think of Mexico. I think for me, it's a sort of mix of the two because I drink a lot of tea and I know that if I buy some in a specific place, especially if it's a kind that they're really well known for, I'll bring it back with me. But I try to get one that's in a really beautiful tin or has some sort of cool design element to it, because that way, when I'm finished with the tea, there's still something left behind that I can keep. Like I bought some tea at Mariage Frere the last time I was in Paris. And so even after the tea was finished, the tins are really beautiful and I can collect them. And that reminds me of where I was and which place I got it in. Yeah. And I went through this process in London recently where... We went to Fortnum & Mason, which has both like really good tea, and they're also in really cool boxes. So we're sitting there thinking, like, should we buy the stuff with the intent to drink it, or should we buy the stuff with the intent to just sort of keep it around? And then I feel like you, you get it home sometimes, and you're parsing it out because you don't want it to go away when it's something like that. But what are the things, um, you know, there are considerations. You kind of got into this a little bit with her. And I don't mean this just with Grabber, but there are considerations about bringing things back and forth between countries. Like, what are the thought processes that you guys go through or what should people keep in mind when they're doing this? Well, I think especially with food, you need to be aware of what you can and can't bring back. So in the United States, for example, there's very strict regulations on cheese. So that amazing French cheese that you tried in Paris, it's probably illegal in the States. Anything that's unpasteurized, which means it's 
has been aged for less than 60 days is illegal. So you should check the regulations before bringing anything back. And the same goes for certain types of spices. Um, I'm going to admit I've broken the cheese regulation. (laughs) I think most people have. I've I've grabbed cheese from both France and Italy to bring back and did not obey the... Did not declare it. Did not declare. (laughs) Oh, I'm so afraid of those dogs, though. Oh, like no, the, the ones that they che- have sniffing you at customs? I'm so paranoid. No, are they the one sniffing it- for cheese, though? That's what, or are that's they sniffing for like, drugs? That's what I was going to say. I'm kind of hoping that they're sniffing for drugs and bombs, and they don't care about and the, the cheese. cheese will just, yeah. they just won't mind yeah. it. I don't know. At JFK, once I saw a hound sniff out some olive oil. So. No. Wow. I saw someone get busted me. for, I think it was dried fruit and seeds. Oh. Um, but it was in Australia, so they're really strict about that kind of thing. But maybe so. it was truffle oil, and it was like one of those dogs that can sniff out truffles. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Maybe that was it. Definitely yes. a priority for the TSA. <laughs> I think they should give you a pass for olive oil because you can. You it is very difficult to find the kind of olive oil here that you can get, even at good importers here, to, that you can get fresher in like Spain or Italy or Portugal. That said, I don't know if the olive oil was confiscated. Ah. So. So you might get busted, and they might just let you have it. Yeah, or, or you might just have to pay a small fine or something. Okay, so be ready to pay, and you'll be fine. Always easier to apologize than ask permission. When you brought back the mezcal, what kind of packing did you do with that? I always conf- I always don't know what to do with like bottles of things. Not that I've ever had them, but <laughs> uh, mine was very DIY in that I wrapped it in a bunch of newspaper and clothes and it was fine and it was fine Just disastrous if it's not disastrous fine, if it wasn't <laughs> fine i usually <laughs> okay. ask i bought some pottery in cuba and because i didn't speak spanish they knew i was foreign and they flat out were like okay how are you getting this back to the states do you need us to wrap it up for you and a lot of places i think if you just tell them whether you're traveling by air or by rail they'll probably know and i usually just ask right there and they'll give me some tips or help me with wrapping it do you guys I'm curious about this. Do you guys collect postcards from places that you go? I don't. So my kind of lifelong goal has always been to go to every racetrack around the world. Yeah. So I either get a sticker of the racetrack or a patch. So I'll stick it to my luggage or I'll put it on a jacket that I have at home. Are racetracks aware of these things? And so they all have totally every racetrack has a patch or a sticker and my luggage now is taken over by stickers and it's fun because people will stop in the airport and ask you like oh have you been to this racetrack and there's always such a special story that i can go back to about when i've been there but you can never change your luggage but i can never change my luggage it's gonna or your jacket it's gonna go with me till the end (laughs) that's a good one what about you lala you ever collect any kind of postcards or anything like that um well i like taking postcards from restaurants so if i've had a really amazing meal in like a special place on a trip, I'll, you know, when they give you the check and there's a postcard with it, I'll usually bring that with me, stick yeah. it on my fridge. I hadn't um, thought of that, that I, I, because I grab the matchbooks. I also take those. Yeah, yeah. Those, and they, they litter the house after that. Yeah, because also, if you do smoke, you use all the matches and they just have empty boxes. Yes. I True. do love the magnets from the airport, though. It's like a quick thing that you can grab, like, on your way out from a place. At the, the airport? At the airport. Whatever place you're in, and you can like run to the souvenir shop and just grab a magnet for your refrigerator. Oh, I, didn't I think know, that's I've just, never done that. Yeah, I think that's my a mom super collects sweet, them. Yeah, and it's great because it can always be the last thing that I do. Like exactly. I don't have to schlep it around with me the entire trip because there will be some at the airport. How much gift shopping? Since you raised it, how much gift shopping do you guys do when you're traveling? Is that a priority, or is that? I thought about this 
you know, recently I thought I should just get stuff and bring it back for people, but I didn't. Yeah, sometimes I find myself buying extra stuff that I don't have in mind for a specific person. And then at the end of the trip, sometimes I think, actually, I love that thing. I'm going to keep it for myself. But my friend so-and-so would really love this. And in my case, my parents, my mom collects kitchen magnets and my dad collects coins. So those are two luckily very easy things to find when I travel. Yeah. What about you? I don't necessarily set out to bring back lots of gifts to people, but I find myself often I'll see something and I'll think of a person and I'll bring that back for them. So it's usually my mom. But I was in a flea market and saw this very small little bird ornament and bought that back for her and it now hangs on our Christmas tree. So small things that just sort of catch my eye that makes me think of a person I'll get, but I never come back with a haul of Mm -mm. gifts, which is probably more my own fault. But it's nice too. I feel like if someone I know has a birthday or an anniversary or something coming up and it's kind of in the back of my mind, I feel like you can get away with so much more if it's a souvenir from another place, because even if you didn't spend a lot of money on it and there isn't necessarily a cool story behind it, simply being able to say like, oh, I picked this up for you in Barbados, like makes it great. And they think that it's a really over the top special thing. But truth is, you were there anyway. Do you guys find that you have elevated intentions when you're on the trip and sort of in the place and like you go kind of crazy and think you're going to buy, like you buy a painting and you think you're going to frame it and you think you're going to put it on the wall and then you come back and like months go by and you never do. I guess that's just me. No, it's not just you. (laughs) Uh, So I do the postcard thing. And in particular, I love to, at art museums, if one of my favorite pieces, if it's on a postcard, I'll buy it because I want to remember that specific painting that I really loved or that specific piece that spoke to me. And now I have like a pile of them and I keep saying that I'm going to make a big thing with all of them. Like I'm going to make some huge collage. But then I tell myself, no, I'm going to such and such place soon and I'm going to get more there. So it like never happens. Yeah. Do you plan ahead for the shopping that you're going to do to bring stuff back? Is that like bring some extra luggage space or something like that? Is that something you've done? I think depending on where you're going. If you're going to If I'm going to Paris, then I would plan ahead and tell myself, okay, well, I definitely know I'm going to be shopping and getting all these like bottles of things. So I'd prepare that way. But if it's someplace I've never been, I have to take a chance. I I tell myself if it's one of those situations, like if I'm going to Israel or something to see family, then I count on all the space that's taking up stuff I brought for them is space I get for me on the way back. Yeah. One of the things that I've started doing recently is whenever I go to like a museum exhibit, as a memento, I'll buy the book of the exhibit, whatever, whatever it is. And, you know, for two reasons. One is because I feel like when I'm there, I'm kind of more focused on the art and I'm not dealing with all the context. So I want to review that later. But also really to remember the thing itself because it's so ephemeral. And I was recently, I was at the Tate and saw uh, the Rauschenberg exhibit that they have right now came out and the book was enormous, right? Like, so it's this giant book. And I'm thinking, I don't have space in my suitcase. And I decided to take a chance on it. I didn't know if this was going to work, and I also thought it was going to be enormously expensive, and it sort of was the latter, but I had it shipped. So, like, I ordered it online while I was there in the store and had them ship it to the U.S., and that's, I was kind of worried that that wouldn't happen or, like, something would get lost somewhere along the way because mail, but it didn't, and it worked out really well. And I'm wondering, do you guys know of any services? Like, is that a is that an option that people can have if you're afraid of the crossing of the borders and the dogs and whatever can you just ship stuff yes absolutely i am all for shipping things back because 
I would rather not have to pack it in my own luggage. I always actually ask the hotel what they recommend for shipping and usually they help out in a big way and I am all for that 100%. That's a great suggestion. You ever done that, Lolly? No, but I'm going to start to. <laughs> I always just sit with my suitcase and try and close it. I can't. My suitcase is always full when I get there and somehow nothing gets added and it's even fuller on the way back. So I'm like, I have to ship everything home. Well, you just figure like there's the risk that something's going to break in the suitcase. There's probably a risk that it's going to break in whatever they ship it with. But if they do it, if you do it well, maybe they pack it better, you know, mm-hmm. when, the, when they're shipping it. I mean, I mean, it would vary depending on size and what you're shipping, but how expensive is it to do that? Is it is it a feasible option depending on what your budget is? Yeah, I mean, and depending where you're coming from, too. I mean, if it's in the U.S., I would say under $50. Yeah. My general rule is I won't spend more than the item costs to ship it, and yeah. that's sort of how I've made decisions about which things I want to buy and which things I don't. I was in Cambodia and bought this really amazing print, but... I was able to fit it in my suitcase as long as I laid it flat on the bottom because when I looked into how much it would cost to ship, it was kind of not worth it. So I figured if I can't get it in my suitcase and it costs more than the cost of the item to ship, that's it. Don't do it. Yeah. I've thought of doing it with like a case of wine from a winery that like I could never get here, Mm -hmm. you know, in France or Italy. But I've never done it because, again, the logistics are kind of challenging in some places. But some of them are in the business of doing that. You yeah. know, you a lot of them expect that from you or they might have supplies on hand. I mean, I didn't want to spend all of my time in France running around trying to figure out how to say bubble wrap in French. Right. But I just asked the people at the wine store that I bought it from and they get a lot of foreigners. So they already had cardboard and bubble wrap behind the desk and they just gave it to me and that saved so much time and energy. And you shipped it to yourself? Yeah. Okay. Or it was for wrapping in my suitcase in that case. Uh-huh. But it was just a matter of, well, I could try to wrap it in stuff that I already have but I'm not positive and I'm going to ask and it turned out that they did have something. Yeah. How do you guys feel social media and things like Instagram have changed your souvenir patterns if at all? One of the things I really like about Instagram is just through going down a rabbit hole of seeing what other people I follow like. I'll often find stores in cities that I haven't been to that I really want to visit whether it's a sort of hippy-dippy like home clothes store on Venice Beach or a some sort of beautiful interior shop in Paris. I feel like my sort of Rolodex of places that I want to shop in have really expanded through Instagram. Oftentimes I still haven't actually made it to the place but yeah I think it's a really nice visual way of seeing what these places sell and drawing you in. Is Instagram the best place to do that or are there other go-to's that you have to try and plan what you might want to shop at? For me, I would say it was Instagram over, just just because it's so visual. Um, and there's that new saving feature that I love. So if there's a particular place or an interior or store that I see now that you can save that info and go back to it later, it really helps me remember. Yeah. Mara, what's your, has it changed you at all? You're a pretty would, heavy Instagrammer. Yes. I would have to say Instagram really kind of opened the door for all of my friends who have been traveling and I see it so much quicker now and like Lolly said my feed is kind of consumed by all these great places that everyone has gone to and it's like I want to go there next so you just kind of have a million screenshots in your phone of all the places you want to go to. Yeah to me it feels like I have the retrospective point of view with that where I look back at my feed and it does the thing that postcards used to do or snapshots I suppose used to do but in a kind of more elegant way. 
and it feels like a scrapbook put together of the trip, which is, which has maybe, maybe I'm less inclined to buy postcards now because I don't do that anymore. I feel like Instagram's taking the place. But artifacts, what's the best thing that you've ever brought back with you? Well, I want to answer this by sort of saying that sometimes it's a sentimental thing. Sometimes it's something really dumb or kind of cheesy, but it, it invokes a very specific memory. So for me, sometimes it's not a thing that's very expensive or very exciting. But Lale was going to be in London, and I used to live there, and I asked her to bring back trashy gossip magazines for me. That's, I heard you doing that. That was great. It was great because I got to read them on the plane first. And, and, but they weren't for you. You got to say they're not for yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, it was I have funny because five magazines. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's so funny, but it used to be this like funny weekly tradition that I did with my friends there, and we would just read them, and it was fun for me because a lot of them covered British celebrities that I hadn't really heard of before. So it was a way for me to like learn a little bit more about pop culture there instead of like I didn't need to read about Jennifer Aniston every week. And so as, as much as it's a silly and really frothy kind of thing, you can't get them in America. And if I see them at an airport or something, they're usually crazy marked up. I used to buy them because they cost a pound. That is the reason that I bought them. And the idea of spending like $20 on something like that was just too much to bear. But getting them back, I just took them all home, like curled up in bed with them, read them and just cracked up and thought about my friends and the experiences that we used to have reading them. And so it may not be like a beautiful piece of art that I'm going to keep forever, but I was so happy. <laughs> yeah, because, well, first of all, I mean, I think it's worth it. Those things are different there. They're different in Europe. They're different in England. But even even in the southern part of Europe, the sort of trashy tabloid magazines are, they're much racier. They're much goofier. And they're, they're much funnier. Yeah, they're hilarious. So you can't, you definitely can't get that here. But I like that you're both keeping current with the gossip and reliving, you know, your own sort of past by doing that. That's a nice, that, that's a kind of a perfect little intersection of past and present. Yeah. I mean, how else am I going to find out what some dude who came in seventh on Big Brother five years ago is doing with his life now? I need to know. <laughs> Mara, what's the best thing you ever brought back? Um, the best thing I ever brought back was probably when I first started working here at Traveler a few years ago. Uh, we actually did a photo shoot in Brazil in this small kind of fisherman's village in Trancoso. And at the time, the people who lived there, they sold these feathered headdresses that I bought one and my colleague at the time bought one. And I had to wear mine home on the plane, actually, because it was so fragile. <laughs> <laughs> but someone I know had actually gone back a year or so ago and she really wanted to get one because she loved mine so much. And they don't make them anymore. Ah. So I was lucky enough to get one, and now I kind of look at it all the time and think back to my kind of first moments here at Traveler, which is really nice. And you think of Trancoso, which is beautiful. Yes, it was a beautiful place. Yeah. Lale? I figured it out. Okay. <laughs> it costs no money and is also incredibly silly. Nine years ago, I spent a couple of months in Australia, and when I was in Melbourne... I was very excited because my favorite Australian soap that I watched in London, in England, it's the British have an obsession with Australian soaps. Was it Neighbours or One Day at a Time? It was Neighbours. And uh, Neighbours was set in Melbourne, so I went to the Neighbours pub night. Oh, dear. Where various esteemed cast members were there for you to meet. Really? Yes. That's exciting. And one could say the most legendary character, Dr. Carl Kennedy was there, accompanied by not one, but two security guards. Oh. Um, it's risky being Dr. Carl Kennedy. It's very risky. But 
in short, me and my friends got very drunk and I got his autograph on a napkin. And it's to this day is still pinned up on a board in my childhood bedroom. And yeah, it was my little memento from Australia. And never in a million years did I think I would go to this bizarre theme night in Melbourne. And I did. And it was a brilliant souvenir. Oh, that's great, too. Fantastic. What's yours, Brad? Uh, I think I think this didn't ever happen. I The first time I went to Italy with my not yet, but eventually wife, we brought back a gigantic block of Parmigiano, like really, really good Parmigiano, and a bottle of wine from this winery that we had gone to visit that was run by a friend of her father's that was just super amazing. And, and they did not ship to the United States. They did not sell in the United States. They still don't, I think. But it was a really, really, really good wine. And I think that while we we're not keeping the, we did not keep those around but being able to you know sort of bring back a piece of what we had done there sort of like the eating and drinking that we'd done there because that had been kind of the biggest piece of the experience for me so being able to bring that back was it was just so good i think it tasted better here than it did there which is rare but i think that was mostly just because it recalled that great first experience that i'd had there and i think for me some of the most special memories that are connected to souvenirs have to do with the people that I met while I was traveling. And it's really fun to be able to follow that up. I have a close friend who lives in Switzerland. I went to visit her this summer. And uh, one of the things that we bonded over is that she feels like she's the only person in Switzerland who watches trashy American television. So she feels like I'm the only friend who she can talk to about it because nobody there would be caught dead watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. She needs to meet Dara. Uh, Believe me, I'm on top of it. (laughs) So when I went to visit her as a surprise, I bought every American tabloid magazine in the airport gift shop and just brought them all over for her. And that was also a fun thing because it it harkened back to how we had met in the first place and the first time that we had hung out and become friends and what we had talked about. And but it was also us finally getting to see each other in person again. And, And there were all these layers of like funny stuff happening. And of course, the lady did not believe that I was buying them for my friend. She thought they were for me. And they weren't at all. I mean... Not at all. No. No, in no way. Not at all. I only read foreign trashy gossip magazines. Do you guys ever find yourselves going back through things that you've collected over the years? Or is that something that they just sort of get shut away and you you really don't encounter them again? Every now and then. I love... Do you intentionally do it? No. It's like when you're doing your spring cleaning and you stumble upon it. And I think that's the best time to find it because then you're kind of like, oh, this box that I haven't touched in months. And then you kind of go through all your memories, which is really nice. I bought a menorah in Israel when I was like 19. And I, I haul it out every year for Hanukkah, and it's in a box in a closet otherwise. But it's nice because it does serve this one very specific purpose, and it was a little expensive for me when I bought it, so I thought it was kind of a dumb idea, and I really have used it, and it, it still reminds me of exactly when and where I was. So it's intentionally hidden away for part of the year, but that just makes it more special, I think. I find that I don't have a specific place that I keep them all. They sort of become a part of my home, so I have a really pretty little candle in the shape of a bird that I got in Lisbon that sits on my mantelpiece that I will probably never burn because it's so pretty but I, I you know it's just there above my tv and I see it every day and you know whether it's a postcard stuck to your fridge or a vase that you found somewhere or I really like things to just become a part of my home but then I they take me back to the place yeah and do you ever get someone asking you about them like oh that's a really cool vase where'd you get it 
and I'm like Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, you, you lie? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just that's what they've picked out. Oh. <laughs> the um, cool, exciting story no one notices. <laughs> I want to know if anyone has a souvenir that got away. Because I ran into I was this just gonna the other ask day. That. Yeah, I ran into this the other day because I went to Cuba last May, and a few of our colleagues are going this week. And one of them asked me, "Oh, what should I buy as a souvenir?" And I said, "You should do the opposite of what I did." Because I went to Havana at the very beginning of my trip, and I hadn't brought a ton of money to exchange, and I was really paranoid that I was going to run out and not find another place to exchange it for the rest of my trip. And so there is in Revolution Square in Havana, like all the there are all these magazine stands that are selling like cool old printed matter ephemera, which is my favorite thing to buy. So old magazine covers, old Che Guevara books, old Fidel Castro books, um, advertisements, newspapers, all kinds of cool stuff. And I wanted to buy like all of it and I didn't buy any of it and I didn't find anything like it for the rest of the trip. And I bought other things and every single day I was so mad at myself that I hadn't done it. So I gave one of my colleagues $10 and asked her to just pick something out and said I would trust her judgment. Has there anything ever gotten away from you, Lala? Or, or do you regret like you had an opportunity and you just didn't buy it? Yeah, there was a, I went to Moscow and there was a really beautiful rose printed scarf in a market there that I really wanted, but was like a little bit more than I wanted to spend. So I left thinking, again, I would see something similar in another market or I would go back. And of course I didn't. And 10 years later, I'm still thinking about scarfless. it. Yeah, still <laughs> scarfless, very cold. I don't think that there's one that got away from me. I'm kind of like, I see it. And if I really fixated on it, I'd have to have it. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, so. Yeah, I th I'm too impulsive. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> I asked you guys this earlier because I do think like I get into this place where it's like sure let's spend the money it's like it, it doesn't count because I'm abroad you know so oh, like, yeah it's it, fake money yeah mm -hmm. it's fake money like what the hell let's just buy another one let's get three <laughs> yeah and I think I'm normally more like that but the Cuba thing I was just so paranoid about oh I had to bring cash oh I don't know if there's gonna be another place to exchange it and Havana was the biggest place that I was going to be so after that I felt like I was kind of on my own and I'm still really mad about it. Do you, have you guys ever, this is, I don't mean this the way that it sounds, but have you guys ever taken souvenirs? Like I had this friend who collects ashtrays from, you know, restaurants and bars, but they're not giving them to her and, and they're not, they're not for sale anywhere. <laughs> so she has to go take them. I think that's still stealing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I won't name the hotel, but I was traveling once and I, I have this thing where I'm warm all the time. So even in the winter, like I'm always really warm in my apartment. So I've people have given me like really nice bathrobes and I always find them too warm. But I went to this tropical hotel where the bathrobe was made of seersucker. It was like my dream. It was like a warm weather bathrobe. I'm Southern, so I love seersucker. And I looked up the label. I tried to figure out where they had bought it. It was from some store that seemed to be out of business. I did... I think my due diligence, but I could not find a place that had it, so I took it, and I love it, and I wear it all the time. And they never noticed that you took it? There was nothing on my bill, like, because uh -huh. I checked, and I figured, like, I'll eat that cost right. if it comes up, but either they didn't notice or they didn't care. And right. there were two in the room, but I only took one, so... I mean, this is a classic one, but I, if I stay in a really nice hotel, I'll take all the bath products. <laughs> well, that's, Who does it? You're supposed to take those. I think they, yeah. I don't think they're there, Yeah, there the are 800 more on the cart. <laughs> There's not gonna be, they're not going to leave them there for the next person. Well, I don't know. <laughs> if it's unopened, they just leave it. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. I've like, I might them, as well take it. I've taken them from the hospitality cart before. Like, if I wanted fresh, unopened ones. Ooh, that's smart. To take with you? Yeah. Yeah. 
That is smart. Like if I want ones that are still wrapped that aren't the ones that I've been using the whole trip, I was like, oh, I'll just grab that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, thanks, you guys, for coming by and talking about it today. Um, and all of you out there, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. Please visit us at cntraveler.com. We're also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. And please do tweet at us and send us feedback and review us on iTunes. We'd love to get the feedback. Lale, where can people reach you? Um, you can find me on Twitter, which is at Lale Arikoglu, which if you go on our site and see my byline, you will know how to spell. Okay. Um, I'm on Twitter at Lilit Marcus, all one word, L-I-L-I-T-M-A-R-C-U-S. And I'm on Instagram at Lilit Goes. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Mara Philly, M-A-R-A-F-I-L-I. And I'm at Bradrick. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in.